This is Truth Encounter, and let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he uses Deuteronomy chapter 18 to expose the false faith Satan is trying to get us to buy into. Satan says, no, that's not the pathway to life. The pathway to life is to have these incredibly powerful and energizing and, and forceful experiences that get you out of your mind. And I want every one of you, whether it's on a Saturday night bash or it's at a, it's at a Sunday morning church service. If you're at a Sunday morning church service and the whole thing of the Sunday morning church service is to get you out of yourself completely, to get you so you can't think, to get you so you go into incredible ecstasy so that you can get in touch with the great spirits, watch out. Even if it's done in the name of Christ. Because I want to tell you something about that. You'll never overcome sin You'll never overcome sin in a spirit of ecstasy. In a spirit of ecstasy, you will sin, and you will destroy yourself. Because you know why you, you overcome sin? By falling in love with an individual, a person named Jesus Christ, who makes you fall in love with other people, people that you should really care about, people that you want to keep your promises to. And rather than in a spirit of ecstasy, you find a spirit of truth, in a spirit of commitment, a spirit of faithfulness. It's an incredible difference, a very powerful difference. And I want every one of you to be aware of this tremendous pulsating seduction from the East. All is everything. You have statements like this. You'll have statements that'll go like, um, religion is true for every individual, but every individual's religion is not true for anyone else. Now, if you're a little bit confused by that, welcome to the world of Eastern mysticism. In other words, the basic idea is that you can believe anything you want as an individual, and it's true for you. But your truth is not true for me. Because it's a world of paradox, it's a world of mystery. As you move into the Chinese and Japanese versions, you'll have your, your teacher, your master, will give you a whole series of contradictory puzzles for you to play with with your mind to try to get you to realize that you can't find the truth at all through thinking. And it's a world that takes us far away from the Jesus that came to this world as a son of David, as a son of Abraham, to deliver us from our sins. That's the invasion from the East. Let's talk a little bit about the invasion from Islam. In Islam, you've got a religion that began about 600 years after the time of Christ. And it's a, it's a combination, unlike Hinduism, which has very little roots in the Old Testament scripture or in the New Testament scripture, in Islam, that's very much flowing out of the Old Testament scripture and the New Testament. In fact, the prophet Muhammad taught that there was a whole line of prophets. You have Noah, you have Abraham, you have Jesus Christ, and you have the ultimate prophet that came in the 600s, Muhammad. And so you begin with the first pillar of Islam. Allah is our God, Ya Allah alone, and Muhammad is his prophet. Sometime in your life, you're going to be a follower of Islam. Sometime in your life, from the depths of your being, you need to pronounce that Allah is God and that Muhammad is his ultimate prophet. Then they have a series of prayers, five times a day. Five times a day you will pray. When Mary and I were in Jordan, for example, or down in Egypt, before the sun rises from the Islamic, um, from the mosque, you hear the call to prayer. And all over the city of Egypt, or all over Amman, Jordan, they get down on their knees and they pray towards Mecca. 
Then you pray again at noon. You pray again in the early afternoon. You pray again in the late afternoon. And then you pray before you go to sleep. Five times a day. I'll bet you that's better than some of you do in your prayers. The third thing is that you give a tax. And it depends upon your productivity. But you'll give 10%, 5%. You pay a tax. It's like a tithe. That's the third pillar. The fourth pillar is that you have fasting. Like during the New Year's month, you'll have a time of fasting. In Ramadan, you'll, be, you'll have a long period of fasting, very intense um, protection of not eating certain foods. And the final thing, the fifth pillar of Islam, is to make the Hajj, the holy trip to the city of Mecca. It's a religion that's very neat, it's very tidy. The reason Malcolm X was very much attracted to it is because the movement that he started out with here in the United States um, was a movement that, would, that just used Islam to, pro to promote a nationalistic spirit among the black people. And they had been hurt in the ghettos. And one of the saddest periods, one of the saddest parts of, of evangelical Christianity is many young black men and women tried to get into evangelical seminaries and they were not allowed to come in. And we should weep over that because it was incredibly sinful. So where did these young men turn? Where did these young women turn? Many of them began to turn all different places. Some of the places I've talked about today. And one of the places they turned was they realized they remembered the history of the Islamic invasions in northern Africa. The, the Islamic peoples just conquered all the way from Mecca right across northern Africa. Even today, that's a strong Islamic belt. And they realized that they could get by the bigotry of cultural Christianity. They could get by this Christian faith. Not saying the biblical faith, but this Christian culture that had segregated them from gathering together, that did not welcome them in its meetings, and sometimes even condoned slavery. They could get by all that by going back to their African roots, and Islam, they felt, was close to their African roots. And many times the black Muslim movement was a movement not so much of Islam, but of, of a black people that are trying to express the agony of, of being held down in a culture that was rejecting them. But Malcolm X was also exposed. He went to Mecca and experienced the morality, the strong stress upon family of Islam, this strong pattern of discipline. And he was very much attracted to it. Now, what made him so open to that? Because the Christianity that he had been exposed to was just a form without the living obedience to Jesus Christ. And so throughout our culture today, there's a strong influence from the Islamic people. What I want you to see is that here, unlike when I talked to you about Hinduism, here we have a God that's very similar to the biblical God, only you have a denial of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One of the cardinal teachings of Islam is you deny the deity of Jesus Christ and you deny the reality of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. One of the very first differences from the biblical revelation. Also, what is the problem of man in Islam? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with people? Well, it isn't sin. 
It isn't the need for a redemptive savior. You're basically all right. And if you follow the laws of Islam, if you'll follow carefully through the five pillars of Islam, if you'll rigidly lock yourself into this very strict disciplines culture, then you can find Allah. You can worship him. You'll be welcome into his court. It's a religion of good work, which is very attractive to us as human beings. And that's the difference. Instead of having a savior that died for us, we have a prophet who showed us the path of human work and obedience. It's a tremendous attack. The attack from the East, the attack from Islam. We have a third thing that's very much attacking our culture. It's the culture of the New Age. The New Age is a catch-all. It's one of those phrases Voltaire said that the, one, that the Holy Roman Empire, the thing about the Holy Roman Empire is that it wasn't holy and it wasn't an empire. The New Age is very similar to that. It's not new. And it's not going to bring the ultimate new age. And it's kind of an amalgamation. What it is, it's the McDonald's version of just a potpourri from the East, from all different kinds of sources. But some of the basic ingredients are what we started out with today, talking about this great force, this great being. You have a strong stress upon Mother Earth. Almost all of our kids have a much stronger view towards taking care of the environment than their parents. How many of you parents have had your kids get on you about the way you put out the trash and your need to separate out some things, right? Now, where did that come from? In fact, that's a good thing. But I want, I want all the parents to listen carefully. I want the kids to listen. Why are you supposed to do that? Have your kids been taught that there's a great personal creator and the earth is his handiwork? The earth is his creation? And the reason we need to take care of it is because it is his artistic ma masterpiece? Or have they been taught that they need to take care of it because we are one with Mother Earth and we are in unity with Mother Earth and we need to be in harmony with Mother Earth and that's why we need to take care of Mother Earth. It's a totally different basis. That's the philosophy of the East. It underscores much of the ecological movement. I'm not rejecting ecology. I just gave you a firm biblical basis. In fact, one of our first commands is for us to administrate God's creation and we're to do it under his guidance and obedience to his will, which will take care of it. And it's our sin which pollutes it. It's our rebellion against him and our laziness and our dirtiness and all that sin brings. But much of the ecological movement in our culture flows out of you are one with Mother Earth. Ecology Day. All over this nation on Ecology Day, you'll have people go to Shasta. You'll have people go to Glacier Park. You'll have people go to the Grand Canyon. What are they doing? Because in these beautiful places of nature, you can get close to the forces that are beyond. Those forces of beauty, those forces of love, those forces of nature. Well, if you're going to fall in love with Mother Nature, you need to know something about Mother Nature. Mother Nature also shakes the earth in volcanoes that just destroy people, just like that. There's beautiful sunsets in Mother Nature. There's also devastating tornadoes and hurricanes. So if you're going to worship Mother Nature, you're going to worship a goddess who can give the appearance of beauty and then she'll snuff out your life just like that. 
You live in a world that tells you you're all just animals. One of the greatest struggles in our culture is the story's gone. Who cares about what two monkeys do? How many love stories have you ever heard written about two monkeys making out at a zoo? Who cares? Well, that's the, that's the basic theory of our culture. That's what evolution is basically saying. You're all just a bunch of very progressive monkeys that lost your hair. And then we can't figure out why nobody cares, why the story is gone, why there's no drama anymore. De Gaulle goes back to this pervasive lie. It's very much part of the New Age. All that is, is just is. What a difference. We turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses has a much better way, an incredibly powerful, better way. He comes to us today and he says, don't have anything to do. Don't commit yourself to the lies from the East. And I'm using East not in a geographical sense. And I want to say this very strongly. One of my friends works in a precious group of believers from the East. And they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. When I spoke at Calvary Baptist Church in New York, we had red and yellow, black and white, and it was, it was just like being in heaven. I mean, we had Chinese mixed in with Japanese, and we had Southern blacks mixed in with blacks from the Caribbean, and we had New York blacks, and we had Jews mixed in there. It was incredible. And as we ended that service, people just came up and mobbed me with questions and penetrating questions. And then they all ate together and, and they sang. So I want you to realize that the message of Jesus is not an ethnic message. It's a message that, that enables all of us to find family, to find belonging, to find a, a relationship with one another that transcends where we were born or what family we were born. Isn't that tremendous? When we talk about the East, the East is not the enemy. It's the ideas of false religion that are the enemy. And those ideas can, can arise right here within our own country. And the New Age has an amalgamation of new, modern, false American ideas mixed in with Eastern ideas. And Moses says this, But as for you, verse 14, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. Instead, the Lord has something better for you. Verse 15, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. So who should we look for for the truth? What is Moses telling us as the people of God? How can we know who's going to tell us the truth? Who's going to be the right mediator? First of all, what does he tell us? He's got to be like who? He's got to be like Moses. You ask me, Dave, how do I know whether I should follow this teacher or not? Are they like Moses? You say, well, what's Moses like? The Ten Commandments. David Koresh, did he teach the Ten Commandments? No. He's telling the girls, you know, I'm the great God, you need to go to bed with me. Whereas thou shalt not commit sexual immorality. So automatically you know, just like that, you're protected from getting involved in a movement that'll snuff out your life. He's not like Moses. Did you understand what I just said? Anybody that teaches you religious things, anyone that's supposedly giving you the religious truth, and they're not consistent with the moral laws of the Ten Commandments, it's not of God. You can know just like that. It's got to be like Moses. You know what else it says here? Notice what else it says this. You, it says he must be like, he will raise it for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. So what nationality is this great prophet going to be? Jewish. Was Maharishi Yogi Jewish? As far as I know, he wasn't. 
David Koresh changed his name to kind of a weird combination of uh, an old Persian ruler and a Jewish ruler. But as far as I know, old David wasn't Jewish. He could have known just like that. You know an incredible statement? Jesus was talking to the woman of Samaria. It really relates to what Moses is telling us here. Jesus was talking to the woman of Samaria. The Samaritans in the first century were a divergent group. They had a different temple. They didn't take all the Old Testament scriptures, only the first five books and some limited sections of that. And Jesus had a religious debate with a woman of Samaria. She was immoral, living sexually impure, but she also had some problems spiritually. And she wanted to debate with him about how you could ever know the truth spiritually. How you could ever know, you know, what was right and, and how you could ever know how to worship God in spirit and truth. A lot like conversations that we could have on a modern American campus. I love the Lord Jesus because he said this, salvation is of the what? Everyone tell me real loud. Salvation is of the Do you believe that? None of our little children in this room will ever tell Jewish people, like in Schindler's List, I hate you, get away from me. Because we'll always remember that the ultimate God who's really there, by a gift of his grace, not because they earned it, and not because they were better than anyone else, but just because, because, because he wanted to. He chose the son of Abraham. You want to know how to get, in, to get to heaven? It's only a Jew that can tell you how to get to heaven. Only a Jew. And that'll protect you from so many false doctrines. Because the ultimate Jew has come. Moses told his people early in their history, there's going to become another Moses, and he's got to be Jewish. He's got to be one of the sons of Abraham. He goes on here and says this, You must listen to him. For this is what you asked the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, let us hear the voice, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. Remember when Moses went up in the mountain and, and at first they heard the ten words from God and they were listening to the voice of God, but it terrified them so badly that they said, Moses, you represent us, you be the mediator, you be the one that represents us before God. And God says, that's good. My people have a reverence for me. And he let Moses be the mediator. He let Moses be the spokesman. And now Moses, the initial Moses, is promising us that there's going to come another Moses. Look what he says. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. Remember the prophet, the Lord Jesus, that came and said, you have heard it said of them of old. But I say unto you, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, You have heard it said of all, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say to you, do you even look upon a woman and commit immorality with her in your heart? You've already sinned. You've already broken the commandment. You have heard it said that thou shalt hate your enemies and love your friends. But I say to you, the essence of the law is you shall do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you shall love your enemies. And you shall be like your Father in heaven who gives rain upon the just and the unjust. Who spoke like that? The new Moses. The new lawgiver. The one that revealed the movement of the law and the essence of the law. There's only one prophet that ever lived that could speak like that. His name is Jesus Christ. Notice what Moses said that they should do. He says, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command you. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, 
I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak my name, anything that I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Gene Dixon hit it right about 80% of the time, a little bit better than 80%. But I forgot to tell you in the introduction, Gene Dixon also said that Jacqueline Kennedy would never remarry, that Russia would invade Iran in 1953, that Russia would land a man on the moon first, and that Lyndon Baines Johnson would be the Democratic nominee in 1968. How does Dear Gene line up with Deuteronomy 18? A good guesser, but not the prophet. You've got to be 100% right in the kingdom of God. We have prophets today. I've got a close friend that entered a world of new revelations and new prophets. I just recently read a review of his book that just came out. And my friend, it says in the review, has already left the original prophet that pulled him into a movement that's very much involved of hearing voices from beyond. He's already divided from that prophet. Now I don't know which prophet he's following. I want to close with this. Acts chapter 3. As we close, let's find out who this new prophet is. You already know that, but let's get some scriptural balance for it. Some scriptural proof for it. Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Peter's speaking to the very Jewish crowd that crucified the Lord Jesus. And it says this. Now, brothers, verse 17 of Acts 3. I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, when you crucified the Lord Jesus, in other words. For this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. Repent, then. Change your minds about the Messiah. Change your minds about who Jesus is. That's what it means to repent. Turn around in your hearts and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Remember, Jesus is the only mediator that can wipe out our sins. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken and foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, that is Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Who's going to bring peace on earth? Who do you believe is going to bring the blessing? Not the Hindu gods of the Hindus' valley that ultimately go right back to the same old deception of the Baal cult of the Canaanites that God said needed to be exterminated. Is it going to be found in the, in the world of Islam where the Quran says that the promised child is not Isaac? but Ishmael. And the way that you find God is by locking yourself into a rigid religious discipline 
Do you really believe that a rigid five-pillar discipline is going to keep you from sin? Can it forgive you of your sins? Do you really think that the new age can deliver on its promise of a new age where men and women really get along with each other? Did the flower children of the 60s really find love? Some of them were your moms and dads, were the children. What did your moms and dads find that followed that philosophy? Some of them found three and four different partners. Is that love? Has that really worked for you? Has that philosophy of self-fulfillment? I'm going to just do what brings meaning to myself. Has that really found love for them? Brothers and sisters, it's time to see squarely, to face squarely what's happening in our world and decide. As for me and my house, it's going to be the prophet, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to rely upon him for forgiveness, for the energy I need to get through life. And I'm going to find out one day that he's going to bring in a new age, a new age of blessing and of joy and of love that will last forever and ever and ever. But it's not through all these gurus. It's not through emptying your personality. It's when your personality finds itself in a truthful, honest relationship where you just go to the Lord Jesus just like you are and admit who you are, a sinner, and open yourself up to his forgiveness. And rather than destroying your personality, he will love your personality. Rather than blending you with the great forces beyond, he will cause you to become an individual who will be an individual forever and ever and ever in relationship with the true God who's really there. It's a big, big difference.